1: Hello everyone, I'm your host Ed Gotham and welcome to another episode of Opto Sessions where we interview the top traders and investors from around the world uncovering their secrets to success. This week I've got Dr. Jeff Ross on the show yet again. Jeff is the founder of Vale Shire Capital Management, a successful hedge fund which employs an innovative all-weather full-cycle portfolio strategy for its clients and has achieved triple-digit gains over the last year. In this interview, we discuss the macro environment along with the potential implications of a stronger dollar, the reflation-to-deflation trade, and of course, Bitcoin. Enjoy. Hi, Jeff. Thanks uh, for letting us interview again on the show. It's good to have you back.
0: Yeah, thanks, Ed. It's great to be back.
1: How's everything been going so far since we last talked?
0: Uh, It's been good. It's been a tumultuous time, especially you know that I'm a a big fan of Bitcoin. So Bitcoin is... a. Tumbled quite hard since we last spoke, so it's been uh, it. It makes for a little more uh, interest within my my investment world. Yeah, uh, and uh, it's I, I spend a lot of time with my clients, kind of talking people off the ledge and, and talking about what volatility is and what volatility isn't. Yeah, uh, we can get into that later if we want. But yeah, yeah. but yeah, so it's been it's been a very interesting, but always a lot of fun. Yep, and um, am I right in saying that you've gone full time in hedge fund now? Is that is that right? Close, no, so not quite yet. So actually, I'm I'm scheduled to retire from medicine at the end of September. So I have about two and a half months left. Then it'll just be Valeshire at that point. So I'm looking forward to that.
1: Wow, that's great. Yeah, um, yeah, really pleased to hear that. This is because of the success of. Veilshare over the last year and
0: yes, I did not plan on retiring from medicine. I, honestly, I didn't think I would until maybe the end, of like twenty thirty or so. But um, yep. Veilshare has been booming; business has been good. You know, I'm kind of riding the the uh, coattails, yeah. uh, you could say, of Bitcoin and this whole movement. Uh, so it's been a fun ride, and it's been growing like crazy. Lots of new clients, uh, lots of new assets under management. So I'm I'm having a ton yeah. of fun. It's great,
1: awesome, and yeah, it's not been uh, it's not only been crypto that's uh, been moving. The whole markets have been pretty crazy. I mean, it's for the last the equity markets for the last three, four months or so have been pretty chopped city. Hasn't really moved that much. A lot of the major indices. Um, there's been the talk about inflation, which is the last time we talked.
0: Mm-hmm. And then
1: you, you mentioned we've touched on stagflations there's, and this has become back like the deflationary mm-hmm. news. Uh, people are talking about again, um, a recent rally in the dollar as well, which has caught a lot of people off guard uh commodities some of the lots of commodities substantially sort of retraced um lumber in particular has come back over 50 percent, i think from those ridiculous highs it got to uh, and now bond yields dropping um suggesting maybe that growth is becoming interesting again uh in comparison to value but you know there's just so much um going on it's hard to keep track so i wanted to start just uh what's your your opinion on the macro environment at the moment and uh outlook for the rest of the year? sort
0: of. Sure, sure. So it's definitely a loaded question because there's so much going on, but I think you're right. So, So I think the easy play for the last nine to 12 months or so was inflation accelerating and everything that that means. So the reflation trade basically was on for the last, say, nine months. And what that means is interest rates are rising, commodities tend to spike when that happens, and we saw that in everything, right? We saw it in lumber, as you mentioned, copper. Um, pick your commodity, corn, wheat, anything, anything that's technically a commodity that, that was rising and in treasury rates along uh, along with it. So prices down uh, rates. up. But what I think has happened then in the last month or so is that the accelerating inflation, while it's still high, the acceleration is slowing. And so I kind of liken that to you're driving a car and you're taking your foot off the pedal. So you're still moving forward, um, but it's at a slower rate. And when that happens, these things that are sensitive to inflation, especially treasuries, long-term treasuries, Um, they've started coming down. uh, As you said, again, commodities like lumber have come down significantly because they're extremely sensitive to inflation. Um, And so the reflation trade is off for the moment. So how do I see this for the summer? Um, I think we're in a transition zone right now. So basically all of those things that worked really well, I think at best they'll be choppy and at worst they're going to continue to lose a little bit of value. So if you're, if you're betting for um, rates to rise, I think you're going to be on the losing side of the trade, at least in the short term. Possibly going into the fourth quarter and into the kind of the first half of 2022, we may see uh, a return of that reflation trade. Although I don't think nearly as severely, I think the time to be in, in that was the last nine months. Yeah. And I think we're past that now. So it's, it's choppy. The markets are a little bit turbulent and hard to discern at the moment. Um, but I do think we're on a little bit of a, No more reflation trade, but we slightly are going back to a risk on uh, precarious market for now. So I think it's a good environment for growth stocks. Pretty good, but kind of scary, kind of precarious. Tons of margin out there, tons of debt out there. Uh, There are signs that we're nearing a top possibly. Um, It
1: did look like that, yeah. I mean, technically, it's tried a few times, isn't it? It's been caught in this sort of box, if you like, um, a lot of agencies. Um, But, I mean, it keeps on getting bought when it goes to those lows as well. So it is hard it to, to understand which, what the direction is going to be. And it seems like a lot of, even like Bitcoin as well, a lot of them are caught in these sort of boxes. Are we going to see that for a yes. while, do you think? Is that just going to continue the choppy
0: market? I think choppy for a while. And actually, since you bring up Bitcoin, I actually think Bitcoin has is sort of becoming the canary in the coal mine. So it was the first thing to dump, I think mostly related to what happened in China. And we could get into that if we want to, but China basically banning it and kicking Bitcoin out of the country, uh, the miners in particular. Um, and so that was the first to dump and it dumped hard, right? It dumped over 50%. That That's painful when, yeah. you're, when you have big positions in, in Bitcoin. Um, but I think that... Um, it, it, it may also be the canary in the coal mine for a return of risk on. And so it's, there's a chance, I think, that we see Bitcoin start mm. to return back and start to approach new all-time highs within the next couple of months. It's, I, again, I just want to emphasize, I think what the markets are showing right now is transition phase. And so I just expect choppy sideways price action in a yeah. lot of things from commodities to stocks. People are buying stocks, um, but but it, it reminds me of uh, the, the last big dance before the yes. music stops. And so I would not be surprised if we saw a return of volatility very soon. In fact, in my hedge fund, I just started buying uh, like the VXX. So I'm, I'm going long volatility. We haven't, we had that last big spike all the way back in March yeah. of 2020 with COVID. And it's been on this slow decline ever since then. And people are very complacent right now. And I think this is when my spidey senses turn on, yeah. my antenna go up. And I start getting concerned that things are getting a little too complacent, and it's probably uh, time to start buying insurance uh, on our portfolios.
1: And because an increase in volatility would suggest potentially a negative effect on equity prices. Is that generally what happens here?
0: Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. That's that's when we see those kind of scary drawdowns that happen really mm-hmm. fast uh, in equity. Mm-hmm. So I would not be surprised, actually, if this summer, if that happened. Yeah. Um, so the things that have done well, I think are starting to pull back the commodities and energy financials, things like that are, are pulling back from their all-time highs. Growth is doing well, but it often does really well right before it crashes. So it's possible we're entering a period like that.
1: Yep. Yep. That's interesting. And how much do you think it's important that, you know, the summer trade, everyone says, you know, the big traders are away from their desks. Does that still have an impact on, you know, the moves won't be as pronounced and stuff. I mean, we're suggesting there's. Return of volatility. I don't know how much that actually impacts this sort of thing nowadays.
0: Yeah, you know, I think those old adages were more true back in the day, um, and uh, yeah. but not as much anymore. I think there's some truth to it, but for the most part, no. Every year is a little bit different. I try to trade each year, each summer as a new summer, and and based yeah. on what the underlying conditions are telling me. So, um, I would not be complacent. Although this might be the summer to literally sell and go away because we may see a big drawdown and return of volatility, but who kn- who knows the future is hard to predict it's very very difficult to predict <laughs> isn't it and um how much i mean the
1: valuations are particularly high at the moment are they are they justified at all or is it just because there's so much money that has to be deployed somewhere and then it's going into equities because bonds are you know not that interesting what's popping them up you know
0: right well, again, I mean, this gets back to, to the, the big riddle of what do you do in the face of a tidal wave of monetary supply? So there are dollars, you know, all Western countries are flooding the system with, with fiat and it has to go somewhere. And so um, where it usually goes is into assets like equities, real estate. It's, you know, the, I, think, I think all of these are in basically an epic bubble that's being promoted by this massive printing of fiat. I'm concerned with what's going on in the reverse repo markets that basically what that is signaling to us is that banks have just so much liquidity on their balance sheets, they don't know what to do with it. And they're basically starting to say, you know what, it's looking dicey. We don't have a great investment alternative because, as you said, equities are really expensive. Are you going to put your money in bonds? I mean, seriously, that's return-free risk. Um, housing is crazy, uh, you know. And here in the states, I don't know what it's like where you're at, but in in Colorado here, uh, housing prices are going up. Yeah, we keep on two to ten percent per month. Yeah. I mean it's just insane, that's, and that's not normal. It's not right? sustainable, I mean, as
1: well. uh, It's not be.
0: sustainable, and it's people who who have never thought about housing are talking about going into careers again of flipping houses It's like two thousand five all over again.
1: Where's all the capital come from? I mean, it's it's got down from the stimulus and. But I mean, you need a I lot think, of money for, for,
0: for buying a house, right? On Right. Yeah, no, well, yeah, absolutely. Well, you need less and less because it, up until now, it has been that people have more savings than they've ever had because of the stimulus money. People aren't working, so they're bored. So they're putting it to work in speculations. Um, and, but, what, but the concerning thing for me is, I think we saw with Wells Fargo yesterday, they, they officially are closing down their personal line of credit uh, business. They, they're just shutting it down. And when you see banks start to get really conservative like that, that gets me worried. They're looking a quarter into or two into the future, and they're saying, "I don't like what I see. Time to shore up our defenses, and let's wait." and And there'll probably be a crash at some point, and then we can uh, release our capital at that point and get things much cheaper. So I'm concerned we're going to see a big de- devaluation in the coming few months.
1: And do you reckon that will? Because surely that's going to affect uh, n- numerous markets. Like, yes. you know, even though it's just the housing market, so there could be a big sell off at some point there is a danger because capital yes. can just be withdrawn from the markets cuz it's too risky to have it in the markets so.
0: right and i will say by the way i think we're stuck in this perpetual cycle of these booms and busts mm-hmm. and and so like i said it's been very complacent and i think that's a, it's related to the amount of liquidity that has been pushed into the system Um, but every once in a while that peaks, and I think we've recently peaked, honestly, that, that margin, uh, levels have gotten so high so quickly that basically the people who know what's going on, on, on the inside, they see danger ahead. So they're, they're all pointing, there's red flags starting to pop around everywhere. I think it's just inevitable that we're going to see another bust and I think that's coming sooner than later. We'll see that because volatility will spike and it's going to show up in the equities markets for sure. As we know, because we've been through these now several times, it goes across the board. So there's really nothing safe other than holding probably cash.
1: Yeah. And um, how do you approach some of that? Say you've got a portfolio. (laughs) I mean, you've been suggesting you're buying options for insurance. Mm Is that, the, is that the, the logical way to get a, a relatively good uh, insurance for not too much? Sure.
0: cost? Yeah. So there's multiple different ways that I say the easiest way for most just straight up uh, investors, mon pa investors, is um, just just go to cash, sit, sit cash. If, you, if you're 100% in stocks right now, um, maybe go down to 50% or something or, or reduce your allocation. That's the easiest way for sure. Um, cash holds up the best, even in the March 2020 uh, pullback. I went to, in, in my fund, um, a lot of cash, but then also US treasuries and gold. Treasuries and gold also got crushed um, back then too. So that was pretty painful. And yeah. Bitcoin, I was well, maybe some, one of these will be a safe haven asset. None of them were. Everybody just wanted cash. Um, and so that's likely that something like that will happen again. So other ways to do it, like I said, in my fund, I'm actually long um, uh, VIX. So long VXX is a symbol you can use. It's an ETF um that's basically a way to uh to hedge your portfolio i like that a lot because it's very reactive and it, it you know it may go up two or three times within uh, a day or two depending on how much panic there is in the market mm. um yeah other ways are just shorting you can short etfs short equities or buy puts on things as well so i do all of that uh within my hedge fund and it depends on my clients how conservative the portfolios are but well a lot of times we'll just simply move to cash
1: yeah and do you think uh, VIX is a better instrument to, to use as a hedge against a, a, a downturn rather than the NASDAQ or some industry, you know, a future contract on one of those because individual stocks move differently or if they're high beta, they might move a lot more than the indices?
0: Yeah, I think all of them tend to do well. If, if it's a big enough uh, panic, then everything in unison goes down. I like VIX because a little bit goes a long way. It's kind of like a very powerful seasoning. You just you just use a little bit of it and it's so um, uh, it's so reactive that that you get a lot more bang for your buck with VIX. So I I enjoy putting that in my portfolio.
1: Um and in terms of the dollar, it's obviously been rising recently. I'm not, I'm not sure what it's doing today, but it was on some pretty key levels almost breaking out potentially up the upside, you know, the next levels away up from that. Um is that going to be sustained like some some people that mm-hmm. i've been talking to are quite smart that thought that the uh the fed might be using you know how they can just it's cheap for them to use some talk rhetoric to prop up something that might rather than it being having like a uh, inevitable like really fast decline is that potentially what they're doing or do you, yeah do you see it rolling over again or is it actually uh, you know
0: Going to go up? Yeah, it's a good question. So, like I said, I think for the coming couple of months, the biggest concern is a spike in volatility and a market panic. And when that happens, people sell, and what they sell to is into the US dollar. So, because of that, I think we may see continued dollar strength that may last for about a quarter or so. So, I think choppy until panic and then the dollar spikes because that's the safe haven asset of choice around the world. And then going into maybe the fourth quarter or Q1 of 2022. Then we get the the slide again. I think it's inevitable that over time the dollar is just going to decrease in value. That's what it does. The more you print, that it has to go uh, mathematically uh, yeah. decrease in value. Uh, although it's against a basket of other currencies that are all doing exactly the same thing. Yes.
1: So, yeah. It's yeah so it's hard to it? pick
0: winners. That's why it just looks like it's moving sideways over the years, even though uh, in, mm. in real terms it's clearly losing value over the long run. But
1: you, I suppose, you should you should see that in other assets shouldn't you like yep. commodities housing they should all be maintaining elevated levels if the dollar is actually going absolutely, down absolutely
0: yeah nominal levels yeah. yeah will will continue to rise yeah. in the face of a falling dollar
1: um and the bond prices what so you you thought that they might continue this decline at the moment um, in yields but eventually they'll so start yeah, going up So yeah so I think
0: choppy for the summer until and again I'm expecting might be wrong, but I'm expecting a high volatility event with a market drop, meaning equities drop. When that happens, people, you know, the number one asset, they go into the US dollar. Number two is US treasuries, long-term treasuries. So then what that means that the price goes up, yields go down. Um, so we may see more of that. So sideways to down for the next couple of months, I think, while we're in this choppy period. And then I think some confidence returns, and inflation tends to accelerate a little bit into the fourth quarter, or Q1 of 2022. So those may start to go back uh, up again. Yeah, up in yield, down. And if they
1: go, up, if they go up too much, because um, there's a lot of chatter about whether or not that is actually negative for growth stocks. It seems to be like that does happen short term, but people are saying long term, good bond uh, yield just signifies strength in the market. Uh in, in you know, in the economy,
0: which can be yep. good, I suppose, but that's mm-hmm. more expensive. So yeah, so I agree with you. I think um in the short term you can see those where, where a spike in yields will cause growth stocks to get hurt. But in the long run, I agree with you that that shows a sign of strength and growth stocks tend to do well in a strong economy as well. So it's kind of a uh, uh yeah, yeah, it's it's yeah. It's hard to use that as a as a general golden rule of thumb because it can do either, honestly. It depends what time frame you're talking yep. about.
1: And obviously, we're coming into earnings season again as well. Um, last time we talked, you just sort of implying, as far as I remember, that you thought that earnings weren't wouldn't would start to be not as good as what people were were sort of anticipating because they've been so good previously, coming off such low levels, um, and you know there was a huge shifts in how the economy was working, people working from home and stuff. So, and now it's sort of becoming stabilizing again. Um do you still see the the sort of earnings to be pretty bad across the board or
0: yeah uh, yeah I don't know about bad but I think I think uh similar a to declining growth. Y- yes, yeah. So so basically a slowing in growth and so I think all yeah, that's going to be taken and when you, when the market when it, all it's been doing is rising up to this point it's going to be seen as a disappointment I think and so that's why I think we're kind of setting up for a fall even though they won't be that bad honestly I think they're just going to be less yeah, good. Yeah. If that makes yeah, sense. Yeah. And so the market, the market doesn't like less good. It, it, yeah. yeah. It, it'll make us pay.
1: But it, I mean, it's, it's so complex in it because it isn't, inevitably it can't keep on going up in a straight line or whatever. Right. So right. It's going to have these periods. So, um, potentially is that potentially a buying opportunity on, on weakness for some of the, the most, the stronger ones?
0: Possibly. Yeah, definitely. So I, I'm, I'm going to take a wait and watch approach and see how bad it gets. Um, hopefully, I'll be sitting on the sideline or shorting things uh, going into that, and then um, have some cash to spare wherever yep. the bottom is. I'm trying to decide if this is just going to be kind of a mild correction or if we're going to see just a significant, you know, punch in the face. Um, some things I look at, based, you know, margin and and lending and uh, the reverse repo market and banks freezing up. That tells me these are similar signs to what we saw in 2000 and 2008. So. You know, obviously, that pretends to a huge drawdown in the markets. Um, but with other things that are going on, I'm seeing lots of signs of positivity. If we pull out of COVID, if the services uh, industry tends to do uh, does really well, that could kind of act as a counterbalance to to the negativity that I'm seeing. And so, it may not be uh, that bad. I don't know. Uh, I'm waiting and watching. Uh, either way, I'm sort of betting on increased volatility and uh, declining markets in the near term. A buying opportunity at some point I just don't know when
1: yeah and you know I, I was just thinking on my head if the dollar because if the dollar is going to go down maybe people not seeing it because uh maybe if it's going sideways against other currencies but actually really it's going down um in terms of its actual value to buy assets um which should reflect positively on equity prices um however does that does that come through the same way in in earnings And is that a justification potentially for why there's elevated values at the moment?
0: Yes. So I think because because interest rates are just historically low, you know, at millennial low levels, and because um, there is so much liquidity in the system, it just by natural function has to drive uh, PEs higher and multiples higher in general. And that's just the system we're in, and I think that we're we're in the end days of the Keynesian economic experiment. I think this credit-based money printing-based system—it's um, going to be ugly. It's going to be extremely volatile. Um, but yeah, we're going to see just crazy valuation levels like we've never seen, and then monumental crashes to go along with it. It's going to—it's going to yeah. be a painful decade. I still think that.
1: Mm-hmm. And um, I had a question about some stocks are almost. Uh, you could, you could potentially argue are are so powerful in their disruption of something, whatever it is. I mean, you can pick out a few of them. There's some such as Upstart is maybe an example of one where revenues are just growing so quickly um, and it seems as though their business um, is doing very well. But You know, anything can happen. But are these companies, if they do keep on having exceptional earnings reports, even through periods where the market's actually you know, taking a strong correction, do, do are there stocks that buck the trend and, and you know, have very strong relative strength um, and may not go down or, you know, hold well or even go up? Like, does this happen? Or if there's a market crash, does everything pull down and say, yeah. okay, varying relative strength? But
0: I, I tend to think because it's such a systemic problem that the risks are also systemic and that everything gets sucked down uh, in a drawdown, unfortunately. Um, But these companies that you're speaking of, so companies that are riding the large secular trends, software as a service, still obviously AI, uh, robotics, uh, Bitcoin in the crypto industry, um, electric vehicles, those kind of things. These obvious trends that are going to be much higher in 2030 than they are today, they're still going to go down. And when they go down, they tend to go down much harder because their valuations are so high. But then they're the ones that have the V-shaped recoveries. They recover the quickest. So I like okay. to have those kind of on a watch list. And when we see these big pullbacks and when these great names of these, whatever, pick a company uh, that, that pulls down 50%, I like to, you know, really bet big on it at that point uh, after it's come down. you.
1: Yeah, that's interesting. Um, so, I mean, you touched on a few there. What innovative sectors do you think are going to do well over the next, next decade? I mean, electric vehicles.
0: Yep kind of what I talked about. So yeah, electric vehicles, I think are are an easy one. Uh, AI companies, software as a service, I think is still going to do well, as long as the internet is expanding and eating businesses and traditional businesses uh, that will continue to do well. Um, uh, The Bitcoin, I'm sorry. Medtech. Yep. I was going to say that medtech, biotech uh, will continue, you know, healthcare, since I'm a doctor, I have a particular uh, interest in this area it is the stodgiest of stodgy uh, sectors. And it's, it, it is so resistant to change and it is so in need of change. So I think that that is finally coming. I think that uh, technological advances are finally advanced enough uh, that we're going to start seeing major changes. And, um, and it gets kind of weird how I think about it, but I think that Bitcoin and that whole deflationary system is going to sort of, they're going to create a, a separate, parallel healthcare system that I think eventually is going to become the healthcare system. And it's going to be just very different than what we see now, way less middlemen. uh, So the insurers are going to get uh, increasingly uh, irrelevant. Um, All the the middlemen, the administrators and things are going to get less relevant. And tech is going to come in and just completely change. And we're going to get off of treating diseases, end-stage diseases, and get more into how do we stay healthy from the beginning. Uh, from the get-go and live longer, healthier lives enabled by tech and enabled with a deflationary currency.
1: And h- how does Bitcoin support that, that, that sort of technological change?
0: Yeah. So I think, I think Bitcoin is just the truest, freest uh, market. Uh, that, that it, I think it's the only free market truly that exists. And so what that does is it drives down costs of everything and, and it creates winners and losers very quickly. Uh, and so for people who are used you know, in, in the U S we're used to healthcare costs rising anywhere from six to 20% per year. I mean, it's wow. just been crazy, crazy for is And, and so that's obviously unsustainable. It's just another unsustainable feature right. of the system that we're in. And so when we move to a deflationary system, what that's going to do is drive down healthcare costs. So right now you go in to get an MRI on your knee or something. Maybe that costs 2,500 bucks. That's unaffordable for almost everybody you have to have insurance to be able to cover that or you just choose to not pay your bill and deal with the consequences but when you're in a deflationary system where the technology is advancing exponentially you, you, from year over year you're going to see the price of an MRI go from 2500 to 2200 to 2000 to 1500 and and healthcare is going to suddenly be much more accessible to all yeah. and the best physicians and healthcare providers in the system are going to be elevated because they're going to provide like any great product they're going to provide great service at a great price and people are going to flock to them. And so it's, it's just what the free market does. And, that's, and, and Bitcoin offers a free market solution yep. to whatever it touches, whether healthcare or energy or whatever.
1: We hope you're enjoying the episode. For interviews like this every Thursday, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And while you're there, make sure you give us a star rating and leave guest suggestions, along with any other feedback in the review section. Now, back to the show. So that's a good time to take it back to, to Bitcoin. So obviously, as you discussed, yeah, there's been a big retracement since the all-time highs earlier in the year. Um, and now it's been tracking sideways for two, two, three months or so, maybe two months around that. Um, what are your thoughts at the moment? And what, you know, technically is stuck in that box. What are, we, what are you looking at? And um, what do you think is going to happen in over the next six months or so?
0: Sure, sure. Good question. So, So I look at, when I think about Bitcoin, I look at, uh, multiple factors. I look at what are the technicals doing? So what's the price action? Uh, what do the on-chain analytics look like? What's the macro picture? And then what are just the general news events? And so from a technical standpoint, it has been awful. Everybody who looks at a chart can say it looks awful. And, and what we see a lot of TA people uh, post Peter Schiff and other, I'm friends with a guy named Peter Brandt, who's a a famous trader. We we just had coffee last week and and he's still bearish. He he looks at the chart of of 2021 and he sees a big head and shoulders and he thinks it could go down. Peter Schiff is saying it could go down to zero, of course. And so, you know, I I just think it's all nonsense. Um, And that's because the the network is still growing exponentially. So the intrinsic value of Bitcoin, the network is continuing to do this even though the price is doing this. And so there's this wide divergence between Bitcoin, the network value and Bitcoin, the price. And at some point, I think the price catches up and then actually goes beyond that. Um, So yes, the technicals have been extremely bearish, but I think we've been forming a bottom. I think we actually did probably bottom. I think it was on June 22nd. And I remember it because um, the price quickly dipped down below 29,000. In my hedge fund, I made a huge purchase right then because I think this is it, and I was really freaking out. And and sorry if this is too much for a, for a podcast, but my sphincter was tight, as I said <laughs> on Twitter. Like that, It felt really bad to do that. And usually when it feels scary and really bad, those end up being my best trades because I'm like, everyone's capitulating. I'm buying. There's blood in the streets. Be greedy when others are fearful. This is the moment. And so that's what I did. And based on what I'm seeing, I'm seeing us form a big, wide, um, curved bottom that's basically two months long that I think extends into um, July where we are, kind of mid-July. And if that holds, if we start seeing a series of higher lows on the chart, which I think we are. And, and interestingly, I don't, I don't know if, you, if you're familiar with the Wyckoff accumulation pattern. It's this, oh, no, sorry. I've been seeing you mention that. Yeah. Right. I hadn't really noticed that before or cared about it, but somebody brought that up when Bitcoin was up around 50 and 60, that it looks like a Wyckoff pattern. And I didn't even know what it was, honestly. So I started doing research and then they nailed it and the price went down basically what it is, is it's it's showing that institutional investors are getting on board in an asset class and they're trying to shake out the retail traders, the smaller retail traders who get who get scared out of a short-term trade. And that's exactly what we've been seeing. All of the people who have taken losses in the last two months are short-term traders who got in basically from January through April and they've all got it out at losses and so they're all mad they hate bitcoin they don't get what it's about they thought they believed in it and now they don't and they're mad the institutions were were
1: basically trying to push the market down below key technical levels yes. drive drive out the, the the leveraged
0: exactly retail investors right exactly and there's yeah, i mean there's some of these people it's crazy they're leveraged 100 to 1 you know i mean yeah, to, yeah. it's just insane so that's all been flushed out every time you go below key indicators the 200 day moving average was breached then we had the bear cross, you know, and that's that's scary, scary. the death cross, yeah. excuse me. That's really scary for everybody death and all these different things. But but what I've noticed is we, we have a huge level of buying support right at about 30,000 and just below. There's another resistance band for whatever reason. And John Bollinger of the Bollinger bands, a guy, he sees this too, but th- there's a resistance at about 35, 36,000. And then the last line of resistance is that 200 day moving average, which right now is about 44,000, I believe. Um, and so yeah. we need to get past those two levels before we can resume the uptrend. And I still hold, I just tweeted it out yesterday and it's gotten a lot of impressions on it, a lot of, a lot of interest. I think we're in a similar uh, setup to 2013. So 2013, there was this huge bull run up and then out came the, um, was it Mount Gox? Silk Road stuff came out and it crashed the bull market and everyone said it was over. And it was a horrible like spring summer. And then what it did from I think September-ish to December of 2013 is it went up more than 10x in price. And I actually think we're setting up yeah. for a similar price. I still hold that by the end of this um, bull market, it may be extended beyond 2021, but I still think four to five hundred thousand per Bitcoin is in play within basically the next 12 months. But we'll we'll see.
1: Yeah. It's good that you can see it. In other assets over time, that forming a strong base, especially after such a big run up, right? Like it's still in a long term, long term, that you can see that it still looks yeah, incredibly good. It's just the, the short term that isn't good. And you can't just keep on going up in a straight line. Right. And um, it's interesting to see that when the institutions got involved, and then I think uh, Peter Brandt also tweeted, and actually we men- I mentioned it last time that uh, I, I believe, and I know it was on Twitter, I think I, I commented to you that Goldman Sachs trading desk opened up as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if, if you can see that they're playing around in the market and, and in in a market that has such extreme leverage and no, no controls as well, like the stock market that, I mean, the market doesn't shut when it goes down right. 20, 30%. Um, you can see how this sort of thing happens, right? So, right. uh, e- even in things that have good underlying
0: fundamentals. Yeah. And that's the beauty of it, right? We're seeing a true free market. We We're not talking about it's too big to fail. Should we, you know? inject liquidity into it do we protect investors you eat your own cooking this is what capitalism really is and this is what yeah. a free market really is so you take your chances and you might if, if you invest in doge because Elon is on Saturday night live and now you're down 70% like that's that's how this works and that's how yeah. markets are supposed to work and what what that does is it it over time it gets rid of that speculative froth because people get wrecked and people yeah. can only get wrecked so many times in life before they start to become more conservative. And so yeah. I love it personally. I mean, I obviously don't don't want to see people get wrecked, but I love seeing free markets in action and, and not have the government swoop in and intervene and turn it into a more socialistic system. But um, that's just me.
1: And can you just describe, because um, a lot of people won't know probably, the on-chain analytics, which are I believe, supporting this sort of valuation of the network. How does that get a value? What is on-chain analytics, et cetera?
0: Sure, sure. Well, well, all that means is what's cool about Bitcoin is it's a completely open source code. So you can see everything that's going on in Bitcoin to some degree. You can't see who is, like it doesn't say, you know, Jeff just bought, you know, 10 Bitcoin or or whatever, a thousand sats today. You can see, though, the movement and the flows of things, and it's it's out there for everyone to see. One of the things I like to look at is a thing called uh, Glassnode. They provide some uh, good information they show on-chain analytics, and they have ratios of things so you can kind of tell what's going on. So you can see where the flows of money are moving into like what size wallets. Um. So basically, are huge people accumulating, or is it small people accumulating? You know, and what's the growth rate like, and how's that working? So what these things show is is that the number of Bitcoin users continues to grow exponentially. So that's a good sign. So, so they continue to basically double year after year. And if you believe in um, Metcalf's law and those kind of things, you you believe that the, the value of the network is growing. Uh, Exponentially to that, you know, so it's continuing to get more and more valuable. It's also showing kind of what I alluded to earlier is that the people who um, have been selling have been the people, the short term holders. So the people who got in at 50, 60,000 back in uh, February, March, April, those months, they're the ones who couldn't take it after just a couple months. They probably had stop losses or something, or they thought this is not what I signed up for. They sold, and the people who are buying are the bigger. Um, whales they'll call them people who have large wallets they're just absorbing all of these people who are selling their Bitcoin for losses and so I think that means that institutions are kind of slowly accumulating uh, high net worth individuals um, and and so that that's a good sign because usually when institutions buy they buy for longer terms and they they sock it away into cold storage so when you and what's interesting about Bitcoin is yeah. how small the market is so so it's a 700-ish trillion, uh, billion dollar asset. Class by market cap, but almost all of that is locked away for the long term in cold storage, and only a very little bit is available on the on the market. And so all prices trade on the margin, and Bitcoin is no different. And it's probably the the most prominent of any asset class. So just a little bit of purchasing uh, of Bitcoin moves the price dramatically. Yeah, I got you. So it's ironic because as M2 money supply, as that that liquidity. Is basically oversaturated because of the quantitative easing that's been going on for the last year and a half or so. Um, Bitcoin has been doing the exact opposite. There's basically a liquidity crunch that's coming up, and that's happening right now. And so, when people decide to get positive on it again, um, that should ramp the price higher uh, and quickly. It'll be it'll it'll be extreme upside volatility, I believe, and it's going to be pretty fun to be to be long at that point.
1: And. Regarding China, you touched on it. Um, what do you think? Are there any long-term implications of that? I mean, people have been sort of tweeting about how whenever China bans something, you know, that's the time to to get in, right? Um,
0: what's your well, well, yeah. So, 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 Bitcoin is literally antithetical to to China. It's it's antithetical to central control because Bitcoin just in and of itself, it's a decentralized, secure currency that's of the people, by the people, for the people and it's it's exactly opposite of of to what uh, China wants to do they want to consolidate power they you know they they're going to bring out their central bank digital currency very soon to me all that is is, is a, is a uh, enhanced surveillance coin um, it's i think terrible for individual freedoms personally so so i think of course they ban bitcoin because it's exactly the opposite of what they want to do yeah. and where they see themselves yes. going I think it's a huge mistake, like, like the banning of the internet and like limiting freedoms. It's always a mistake to ban innovation because you're literally driving um, quality of living and wealth out of your country over the long term. It's really hard to see that in the short term, but it's, clear, it's a clear trend in the long term. Mm-hmm. So they're basically saying, we're going to lock ourselves into a secular bear trend. And even though they've been on the ascent for the last 30, 40 years or so, I think this is their peak, and I think they're going to start the descent now. I, I just saw a tweet yesterday from Mike Novogratz who said the same thing, and I've been saying this for a while now. Mark my words, in 10, 20 years from now, we're going to look back and we're going to see about 2020, 2021 was where they peaked, and then they're going to start their decline. and They're, they're not going to be number two uh, 20 years from now, or, not, or most people thought they were going to overtake the US. I think they just sealed it that they are not, uh, they're not going to maintain that trajectory.
1: And this is because, uh, the protectionists policies and, you know, trying to insulate right. and not being open to trade with, properly with everyone.
0: Protectionists, the centralized control always loses to a free market over the long run. It's because you're, sti- like I said, you're stifling innovation, you're stifling progress, you're stifling, uh, wealth, and you can't continue that. It, it, you can, you can kind of keep up the charade for a while, but after a while, you, you know, I can't, it's, it's a summary from, uh, from England Margaret Thatcher, maybe yeah. who said you you eventually run out of other people's money to <laughs> spend and and so these socialist systems eventually that's what happens you can only stifle innovation for for so long before it starts to show up and decrease quality of that's living interesting
1: and then but I suppose that their economy's so large, but I suppose they are already very big, so they so they can only get exponentially bigger by being open to trade and et cetera is what we're saying yeah
0: that's what I think, yeah,
1: yeah that's really interesting,
0: so yeah, yeah. yeah. A, gr- a group, of people, no matter how smart they are, they're always, they're never going to be as good as in a wide mm-hmm. open free market. So th- they'll eventually lose. Unfortunately, and I feel terrible. I, I want all of the Chinese people to prosper and to do really yeah, well. Yeah. So it really pains me to see stuff like this. But I think the government, the CCP, is making a huge mistake, uh, and and we're gonna, we're gonna see the consequences decades mm-hmm. from now. And
1: it, it, well, it seems to be increasingly so. They're getting more extreme rather than going the other way.
0: So right. Exactly.
1: Yeah. Um. What do you think the Chinese people are going to find some way to buy Bitcoin? Is it, do, yeah, will they will people find a way when they when they you know when the government tries to tell them they can't, they they will eventually find some way to to do it?
0: Or yeah, well, there's always yeah, there's always two types of people, right? There's the people who are who want to be told what to do, and there's the people who don't want to be told what to do. And so most a lot of the people will just fall in line, and they're going to trust their government, and that's just how some people are. And then there's the other people that are—they're going to say like, wait a second, this is why would I do this? Like, who—who are you to say I can't do this? You know, kind of the American spirit. And so, um, yeah, there's—I think it's going to create a huge black market uh, in China and 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 something like we haven't seen yet is is under the under the scenes. There's still going to be a large, robust Bitcoin market, but it's going to be uh, kind of under the purview of the CCP, I think.
1: Uh, Because I know for a fact, and this probably contributed to them pulling this forward that. There were companies in Malaysia paying for work, you know, honest work to be done by, uh, or uh, and vice versa by, you know, a company in in China. Uh, because I think there's some rest- restrictions on what they can do in that way and how they can actually, you know, the Chinese to take money or put money out uh, outside of the, the country. Um, so this is a way for them to actually work with other people. Uh, without the government intervening, so they're obviously trying to crack down on that as well.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, interesting times. It's hard. It's hard to watch. Um, especially, you know, in Hong Kong is another issue that's that's going to come to the forefront more and more too. So, it's uh, tough to watch, but it is what it is. And
1: last thing on Bitcoin, um, the GBTC unlock, which has been talked about. What, what are your views on that? Is it going to affect the price? Um, we saw didn't happen that as well as this cliff pattern. I think that happened. A, a big unlock around the same time before the correction as well. It may have contributed to the timing of the institutions doing this, but
0: right, right. so, so I think it's more of um, how do I say this? I don't think it has to affect the price negatively, but I think that some large institutional investors want it to. and so I think they create a narrative, I, I would say a yeah. false narrative that it should. I think they want to drive the price down. So the, the private investors who bought into the, the GBTC you know, private fund six months ago, they bought it at a premium and at a probably a little bit higher price. So they're, they're underwater on the price and they're underwater on the premium. So it actually behooves them intelligently to not sell. They, they're going to hold on to it unless they want to just sell and take the loss. Um, if anything, what this is going to do is what they've probably been doing is shorting Bitcoin on the open market in order to protect against these losses. It's actually possibly going to drive the price of Bitcoin up on the spot market because they're going to have to cover their shorts. Yeah. Um, and and possibly start buying to make up for their losses. But it, it doesn't. It, there there was a false thing going around on Twitter for a while, and I, I've been uh, trying to tweet to to dispel that myth. People have been saying that it's going to just. Flood the market with Bitcoin, and that's just not true it's There's no yeah, yeah. bitcoin being released into the market because of this. There's not like a wall of mm-hmm. of unclaimed bitcoin that is, that the market's going to have to absorb so so basically, no, I don't think it has to drive the price down, and if anything, it might actually be kind of a, a contra indicator, and it might actually drive the price yeah. up in bitcoin
1: so and all that's happening is the people that invested at that time have the opportunity to sell if they want to
0: yeah and if they do and why would they right if if bitcoin's been down if they're smart and they if obviously if they're huge institutions that understand bitcoin and got into it they're going to be smart enough to know we're in a pullback right now this is a terrible right. time to sell they tend to have a longer term perspective um, they're going to wait until the price goes up before they sell so that that's how i look at it and the one other thing by the way that that possibly could affect the bitcoin spot price is that when larger institutions today so so putting that those other investors aside if I'm, if I'm a hedge fund manager and I have you know uh, uh, $10 million or $100 million to put into Bitcoin, and I see that the Grayscale uh, Bitcoin Trust is trading right now on the open market at a 12% discount to NAV, or I could buy just straight up Bitcoin, I'm probably going to buy the Grayscale Bitcoin Trust, GBTC, because it's trading at a discount to NAV, and that's, a, that's an arbitrage opportunity. Yeah. It's very easy to buy. And sell and, and you have that arbitrage that if that goes back to zero at some point, you made an extra 12% on the price of mm-hmm. Bitcoin. So I think most people are going to choose GBTC over uh, Bitcoin on the spot market at current valuations.
1: And they can, is that, in terms of buying GBTC, there's no limit on that, is there? you can buy whenever you want? Yeah.
0: Sure. Yep. Like any fund. Interesting. Um,
1: cool. I just want to move on uh, to briefly touch on sort of your equity investment strategy. Um, we talked about a few things last time, like your films approach to equities and stuff. I just wanted to uh, find out how you actually discover exceptional companies, like that you might include in your fund, or or ones that you put in your watch list that, that might be maybe have done their innovation already, but they're still strong companies. Or you know, how do you, how do you do this? How do you find these companies?
0: Yeah, so so I read all the time. I'm just constantly um, scouring the the landscape for what what. Well, first of all. I'm always reading, but but what I love to do is I'm a macro guy who looks at secular trends. So kind of the same secular trends we talked about earlier from electric vehicles to AI to software as a service to those kind of things, uh, biotech. I think that this is where it's going. So it's pretty easy to hitch your wagon to any one of these trends and do really well over the long-term if you have a longer-term perspective and if you're okay with volatility. So then within those long trends, I look for what companies are the lead dogs. Who you know? Who who's just killing it? Um, you know what? Maybe what just uh, uh, IPOed or SPAC'd uh, and is looking pretty good, um, or or what um, you know? C- what fintech company just continues to knock it out of the park with revenues that are 40 to 50 percent year over year kind of gains. Those are the kind of companies that interest me. And then what I do is I, I just look at these companies. I look at who's running it. I look at what their vision for the future is. I say, do I believe it? I do my films approach to it. You know, I love it when founders are, are leading it and they're innovative and they're long-term value creators and they're master capital allocators uh, and they're stakeholder friendly. And if I can find companies that are doing that within my secular trends then yeah, then I'll, I'll definitely consider uh, yeah, uh, buying some. And I usually start my stakes small, like half a percent or 1% and then build them up over time as my confidence rises. And how important
1: is, is revenue growth, do you think, as a metric? Is it really?
0: I think I think very important. Um, I, I used to be, you know, I, I came from the value investing background, used to be big into earnings and then I got big into cash flows. I think earnings can be manipulated. So I, I hardly look at those anymore, um, relatively speaking. Cash flows are great, but um, again, in a world of easy credit and zero interest rates, um, if you can borrow and grow revenues really, really fast, um, and it's for a good reason because you have a great product or service that I think is just going to expand and just market penetration is going to drastically expand in the coming years, to me, that kind of trumps everything else uh, when I'm looking at different companies. So revenue growth is extremely important. Sustainable, sustainable (laughs) revenue growth, I should say.
1: How do you know if it's sustainable or not?
0: Uh, again, based on how uh, if it's within a secular uh, bull market, uh, if so, and within a larger trend, okay. and and it just basically, it's all all of this is speculation, right? All of it is subjective. Do I believe that it's going to do what it says it's going to do, or even do better than that? Yeah, you know, like take a take a um, Tesla. You know, everybody has feelings uh, very strong about about Elon Musk. He says, okay, next year we're going to sell five hundred thousand vehicles. That I'm just Pulling this number out of my head, so so do I believe that kind of number, or do I think he's actually going to exceed it? And what are the implications of that? You know, he talks about full self-driving capabilities powered on AI. Do I believe that? Do I believe that this whole network of cars is going to be able to drive itself, and we're going to be able to people are going to be able to lease their Teslas um, for income? Those kind of things that he's talking about. If it seems believable and and maybe he's even being conservative, then yeah, I would for sure take a bet on that because it's probably going to outperform the market. If, if but if but if he's a liar and it doesn't happen and everything he says is hogwash and you know Teslas start on fire you know every day, um, then then it's it's probably going to underperform. So those are the kind of things you do as especially as a growth investor is you have to see what is the total addressable market. Do I think it's going to reach that? How quickly? And is there another competitor who can come in, swoop in, and, and take their spot or not? And if they have a what I think looks like a sustainable advantage and a great leader, um, I'll stick with them for the long term until I get proven wrong. Yeah. And
1: um, is there a level of revenue that, that would be, yeah, you'd start to get interested in something and you wouldn't be interested in below? Like, are you going to look at companies that might have strong revenue growth, but they're still in the sort of five, six million? revenue annually. Is that still interesting? Or do you wait, obviously, because the more revenues feasibly, it's just a little bit less risky. Is there like a a, a sort of point where you Yeah, I tend to steer away
0: from the the micro caps. Those are a little bit too small for me. Um, Just because it's too, there's too many uh, variables that we don't know and too many things that could still go wrong. So I I tend to like companies once they start to get into kind of the mid cap range, uh, you know, once they're kind of around like a five to 10 billion level, um, then in market cap, and then that's when it starts to interest me a lot more. So if those kind of companies have very strong, sustainable revenue growth, um, those are the ones and they can still you can see, you know, tremendous gains, they can go, you know, two to five X over a five year period. So I I get pretty interested in those companies. Mm -hmm.
1: Um. Do you segment your portfolio into different sort of risk areas? Like some might be sort of 10x sort of growth, and then you might have some that's more um, reliable, safer, but still growing. Do you segment like this? So so I actually
0: don't. I used to, but then I realized that when I do that, all I am doing is basically being like another standard mutual fund or index fund kind of that, you know, where where you're just sort of diffusing the risk through diversification. And your returns tend to then just be about the same as the market. And so what I do, and I know it's just kind of how I'm wired and thankfully. I have investors who believe in my process and what I do enough, is I think if I see something, whatever it is, whether it's a Bitcoin or a company or uh, some asset class, that I think is going to shoot the lights out and beat the market in whatever time frame, and, and I don't even hold myself to that because some people will use like a three year time frame or a five year time frame. If I have something I think is going to crush it in the next three months, I'll I'll, I'll bet on it and I'll invest in it, uh, and or likewise I'll short it if I think it's going to get crushed um, in the next three months. So again, like of, of all things, volatility. I think I think um, we're due for a huge volatility spike. So I'm going to go big into volatility, going long volatility within my hedge fund. Um, I don't know how big it, it 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 kind of off since it's a hedge technique. It'll offset the other positions that I have, um, but it'll get pretty big. If I'm really convinced that Bitcoin is here to stay and it's not going to go to zero, like Peter Schiff says, and it's not going to go below 10,000, uh, yeah. like other big traders say, um, and uh, that the network valuation is growing exponentially, then uh, I'll go very big into it. And so, so I don't really set those kind of limits on myself. That really yeah. makes some Great. investors uh, uncomfortable, but people who know me and trust me, it tends to work out pretty well. So yep. it, it just real quick, um, coming full circle, I think it was at the very beginning, yeah. I talked about this. I'm spending a lot of my time when market drawdowns happen, like this Bitcoin pullback of 50%. I spend a lot of time in my newsletters and memos, counseling my, my clients to not be concerned about volatility because over, volatility is the price you pay for significant outperformance in the long run. And volatility only equals risk in academia. And so, and I talk. We talk about that a lot. That just because our portfolios are yes. volatile, we have to focus on the long term picture. And you, if you want to see huge outperformance, if you want to have the Amazon or the Netflix, you have to deal with these huge volatile swings in the near term in order to have these just life changing uh, gains in the long run.
1: Yeah. Um, and finally, the final thing was about portfolio allocation because uh, I know you do short term sort of trades. In the hedge fund as well. How do you allocate, in terms of risk, how are you allocating? Is there a sort of way you allocate risk to that? Is it a percentage of account size? Is it, you know, how, how what's. Yeah, I usually think that? of it
0: in terms of just percentage base, like what percentage of the portfolio am I willing to put into this? I used to, again, base that on volatility as well. Um, but I, I, I kind of let that go. Bitcoin, and I hate to keep bringing it back to Bitcoin, but Bitcoin really changed everything for me because it's really volatile. But I also think it's the safest investment you can make. Once you, the price is unknowable, but everything else about Bitcoin is knowable. It's totally pre-programmed. You know, it's totally secure. It's decentralized. All this other stuff. So because of that, I broke all of my rules and I have a very large position in Bitcoin and Bitcoin-related uh, investments within my fund. Um, so, so it, you know, three years ago I would have answered that question completely different. That I, I have volatility-based position sizes, but I don't do that anymore. Um, if I really believe in the in the long term story of something, I'll I'll go big in it, even if it means uh, we're going to have a lot of bo- volatility within our portfolio.
1: Yep, and even on, on the defensive uh, sort of positions you take, like the VIX, and then um, you might short something. Is there a maximum exposure you'll have on on like numerous? short-term position? It depends. It
0: depends what it is. Um, Yeah. So individual stocks, if I'm say shorting a stock, I might go up as high as 5% in my portfolio. If I'm shorting like a sector ETF or something, I may go as high as 10%. Um, That's usually about as high as I would go on a short. Shorts are scarier, obviously, because if they go against you, they increase in value and they they become a larger portion of your portfolio. So longs, I tend to go about twice as long. I'll go up on an individual position if I'm excited about it and really believe in it, I mean, I'll go 10, 20%, uh, depending on what it is. So it just depends on what it is and, and what the the market indicators are telling me.
1: Yeah. Awesome. Well, thanks, Jeff. That's been uh, really interesting to chat again. Uh, really good to get your insights and uh, dig into the markets at the moment.
0: Really interesting yeah. to discuss them. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Too. I always love talking to you. These are great, great conversations.
1: And um, just to remind me where people can go to... Follow you as the main place, Twitter. Sure. So Twitter, mean-
0: yep, my handle on Twitter is it's Bailshire Cap, V A I L S H I R E C A P. Um, that's on Twitter and I'm really active on Twitter. I'm also on Clubhouse a little bit more. Um, I like to run Twitter spaces where we talk usually about Bitcoin and then macroeconomics. And then just my website is VailShire com and you can find me from there. Awesome. Well, thanks very much, Jeff. Have a good rest of the week. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Have a great weekend. Bye bye.
1: Thanks for listening, everyone. Just a quick note before we sign off. If you're looking for an easily digestible daily update on the markets, this might be of interest. Opto Updates is our short newsletter sent every day during the trading week, giving you a bulleted list of the top seven stories from the global stock markets. We've done the hard work for you, highlighting relevant opportunities and trends, and in addition, we'll also keep you notified of any new products, stock reports, or webinars from the Opto world. If you're interested, sign up using the link in the show notes. And thanks also to CoFruition for consulting on and producing the show. Until next time.